Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. What if we tried to put ourselves in the place of someone who was there? Like somebody who was there on that day. Say a young man who was in Jerusalem on that Sunday. It was the week before Passover, so the population of Jerusalem would have swelled. Probably some estimate five times as many, maybe a million people in the city now, all crowded in the streets there to prepare for Passover. And people had come from all over the Jewish world. They would make pilgrimages to Jerusalem. And in doing that, it included, let's say, this young man from Galilee. And he began to see the crowds start to form and the people rush by him. And he wondered where were they headed because they were running out of the city. They were heading east out of the city gates, up the slopes of the Mount of Olives. And as they were heading that way, he began to ask them, where are you going? What are you trying to do? What's, what's going on? And they told him that Jesus was making his entrance. The prophet from Nazareth in Galilee, he was on his way. And this is a big deal because it hadn't been that long ago that just on the other side of the Mount of Olives in a, in a village called Bethany, that Jesus had been the one who had called a man named Lazarus out of a tomb. Lazarus was dead, and this dude comes walking out of the tomb. So now there's, there's a legend, there's a story, there's all these things about this guy, and they want to see the guy that raised the man from the dead. The rumor was that he'd been staying in Bethany, and now he was making his way to Jerusalem, and he was on his way in for the festivities around the Passover. And so the young man decides, well, I'm, I'm gonna, I wanna see this. So he begins to move with the crowd. He goes out the city gates, he goes past the Garden of Gethsemane. He starts moving up this very narrow kind of winding road that takes you up to the top of the Mount of Olives. And as he's moving, he's kind of flowing with the crowd. And at some point, the momentum shifts. And instead of moving up the Mount of Olives, he feels himself, as he's hit a wall of people, start to move back down the Mount of Olives because now he's part of the parade. Now he's part of the group that is moving with Jesus, celebrating him on his entrance, kind of a triumphal entry, if you will, into Jerusalem. As he traveled with the crowd, he noticed them doing some really unique things. Like one of the things they were doing is they were taking their coats off and they were throwing them down on the ground in front of Jesus. It was like they were preparing the way for him, almost kind of giving him the red carpet treatment, if you will. And then people would run out into the fields and they started to cut branches and they started to throw them down on the ground and other people were taking these palm branches. In fact, as the, as the guy was moving with the crowd, somebody stuck a palm branch in his hand. They probably didn't come from Jerusalem. Palm branches mostly were known to come from about 20 miles to the east in Jericho, which was known as the city of palms. Somebody had brought these palm branches and they began to wave them as Jesus came by. Why palm branches? Because they were very significant. They were an Old Testament symbol of righteousness. In current Judaism, they were a symbol of Jewish nationalism ever since the days of the Maccabean Revolt. And they had this context when you saw a palm branch, kind of a, an idea of victory. And they began to wave them as Jesus went by. They began to celebrate as he was coming. And this, this was no normal entrance into Jerusalem. And the guy began to think about who is this who is this person, Jesus? Because this young man was also from Galilee. So basically, he and Jesus were, were kind of from the same neighborhood. They grew up in the same area. They knew a lot of the same 
places, and he had heard a lot of stories about Jesus. He had heard about how thousands of people would come out. They'd sit on a mountainside to hear him preach. At one time, when there were thousands of people there, he took some kid's lunch with just bread and fish in it and fed thousands of them. He heard a story about a time that Jesus was preaching and and some guys brought their friend and they they poked a hole in some dude's roof and dropped him right down in front of Jesus. And the guy that couldn't walk, being dropped in, stood up and got off that mat and walked and he was healed. There were all kinds of stories of people who were healed that that were lame, that were blind, that were deaf. There there was a story of a guy that had a a, a crippled hand and it opened back up. There was even this story about the the town demon-possessed guy on the other side of the lake. And when he met Jesus... He wasn't crazy anymore. He's changed. And he'd heard all these stories until one day when he was at his synagogue, Jesus came in and he healed a guy. And then he began to teach. It wasn't stories anymore. And he realized there was something really special about this prophet they called Jesus. And as he's standing there thinking this on that narrow winding road up the Mount of Olives, all of a sudden somebody goes, look, there he is. And he he turned and he looked up the hill and he could see Jesus was coming, but he wasn't walking. He was riding on a donkey, which made a statement. In those times, if you were a king and you were victorious over a city, if you rode into the city on a white horse, it meant you were coming to make war. If you rode into the city on a donkey, It meant you were coming to make peace. If you rode into the city on a donkey that had never been ridden on before, which was what was happening in this situation, the rumor was that no one had ever ridden on this donkey that Jesus was on. If you were riding on a donkey that had never been ridden on before, that meant it was a coronation. That meant it was someone was being made the king. And as he walks in, he sees Jesus coming in and people begin to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna. This was not uncommon. They would shout this a lot during this season of time because when you would come up to the Passover or other festivals, there were these certain psalms that you would recite. They were, they were straight out of scripture. We would know them as Psalm 113 through 118. And psalm 118 was one of those. And they would shout out, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means Lord, save us. Lord, save us. In fact, Hosanna in the highest says, the one who's on high, would you come and would you save us? And they were shouting this. And then they would shout, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord as Jesus is coming down this narrow path. And they're shouting this. And these are the kind of things that you would shout if that was a king who was coming. And he had to ask himself, is Jesus a king? He had to ask himself, would Jesus be my king? Because then they start to say, not just Hosanna, Hosanna, and, and they're throwing down their coats in devotion and in submission, and they're waving the palm fronds, but now they start calling him the son of David. That takes it a whole nother level, because that's not just a king. That's a Messiah. That's someone who's come to save us. And could this be him? Could this be the one? And this young man stands there. And in the emotion of the moment, he waves his palm fronds and he shouts Hosanna as Jesus passes by. And from that vantage point, on that first Palm Sunday, he could never imagine what will happen in the next few days. That the very one who comes in to cries by some of Hosanna, Hosanna, 
In just a few days, we'll hear the cries of others that say, crucify him. The one who many are wondering is a king or a messiah in just a few days will die the death of a heinous criminal. That these moments that start with victory and celebration and coronation will actually end in defeat, humility, and death. From where he's standing, he never could have believed it. But that's the story that we know. And it begins with Palm Sunday. In fact, we're, we're going to look there in your Bibles in John chapter 12 here in just a moment. We are starting what's known as Passion Week or call it the Holy Week. It's the week that is the last week of Jesus' kind of earthly life before his crucifixion and then his resurrection, which is what our focus is all about as we go through this week. It's important stuff, not just because of how, how meaningful it is to our faith, but if you think about it, the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each gospel devotes a significant amount of time. The, the gospel that spends the least amount of time on that week is only 25%. <laughs> a quarter of his whole book is, is taken up with that week. 48% of another gospel is given to this. A third of everything we know about Jesus from the gospels comes from this week, this last week of his life. And Palm Sunday is interesting because you, you get it in all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all tell us, and it's almost like four different guys standing on different corners watching the same traffic accident. Do you know what I mean? Because if you watch a traffic accident from a different corner, you're going to see it from a different perspective. Same thing, but there'll be different things that you notice. And that's what we get in these stories. And then when you put the four together, you get this interesting perspective. We're going to start with John's. And this is what we read in John chapter 12, verse 12, about that first Palm Sunday. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Now, I wanted to give you a little taste of what it might have been like, of what it might have looked like, felt like, why some of these things that we don't understand in our context meant more than just tradition in theirs. And I want to talk today about if, if, this, if this story is so important, what is it that's so significant about why Jesus came? And we'll see it in the Palm Sunday story, but I also think it's really important for us today, Kind of three reasons or three things that Jesus came to do. Here's the first one. Number one, Jesus came to lead. One of the things that Jesus came to do was to lead. He, he came to be a king. You see this in the way that they treat him. The, the coats that go down like a red carpet. The coronation things that are all built in with the donkey and the palms. And when they threw their coats down, when they stood on the side of the road, they were calling out and they were making these actions of submission and allegiance and victory. It was a fulfillment of those psalms that we talked about. Psalm 118. Here's what we read. Now, they would, they would quote this. They would sing this every time they would come up for the festivals. But listen to this. It says, Lord, save us, or that's the word Hosanna. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. That's a, that's a psalm of praise. That's a song that's saying to the one who has come to be king, I will let you lead my life. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to be our Lord. He came to lead us. 
to give our lives purpose and meaning. And we have to decide what we're going to do with that if that's true. Like if you, if you read the different um, accounts of Palm Sunday, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each one gives you a different perspective. And especially if you read the verses just before and just after, and you'll see that there were a lot of different people in that crowd. Let's talk about it for just a moment. Here, here's who some of the people in the crowd were. And, and this is significant as we look. Some of the people in the crowd were followers. They were his disciples. They had already chosen to say, we are going to follow you. We believe in you. We give you our allegiance. They, they, were, they were sold out. Like the 12 disciples that had left everything to follow him, they, they were followers. Some of them were believers, like they believed who Jesus was. They, they were kind of trying to figure it out. They, they, they knew that there was something special about him and, and they were willing to give some of themselves to him. For some of them, the reason they followed him, the reason they were in the crowd was because it was convenient. Like it fit their ideas. They, they liked what he had to say. They were interested in maybe more their politics or maybe more their religion than they were in Jesus themselves. And he was a guy who they wanted to kind of hitch their wagon to because they thought that he might help them get what they wanted. So following him, being in the crowd, that was convenient. For some of them, they were just curious. They were just, I'd say that young man that we talked about in our story, he was just kind of curious. Hey, what's going on here? Who is this guy? How do I learn a little more? Some of them were skeptics. And you get this, especially when you read some of the different gospel accounts, the questions that people ask after Palm Sunday. There were a lot of skeptics that were there. Some of them were his enemies, just flat out. They were out to get him. They didn't agree with him. They didn't agree with what he believed. They thought he was dangerous, and they wanted to stop him. You can look at this and see different people, different attitudes, different thoughts, and the question that I had to ask myself, maybe a, a good question for us all to ask is, which one are you? Because the reality is that there's still a crowd that's around Jesus in some way or another. In fact, someday when he returns, we'll all bow before him, and you're going to land in a category somewhat like this. Then you have to ask yourself the question, which one are you? Are you pushing back on him in your life, or are you choosing to follow him? You know, today we, we gave you these uh, palm fronds as you came in. Anybody, you got them? Can you just show them to me so I can just see them? Just, just wave them real quick. Did anybody used to maybe attend a church where this was a regular part of your Palm Sunday experience? Just kind of wave them at me if that's you. I, I grew up in a church where we would do this sometimes, but they were more like palm branches like than corn husks. And so, um, which I know that's not what these are, but like it's just, uh, it's just different, right? You know, and so, so but yeah, you've got these, right? And our kids are getting them today, and our students are getting them today, too. And we'll talk about the story. But there's a good chance that um, you'll, uh, if you have a little one, that you'll get in the car today, and they'll maybe say, hey, why, why do we have these? And maybe a good thing for you to tell them is the reason we have these, the reason that we waved these today, the reason these were important is because Jesus is the king. And in that story in the New Testament of that first Palm Sunday, they waved those branches as an act of allegiance, submission, call it worship. And they wave them to say, Jesus is the king. He's come to lead us. He's come to give us hope. He's come to give our lives meaning. And here's, here's my question. As you lead this, are you willing not only to say that Jesus is the king, but are you willing to say that I live to serve him? That he's my king. That as I wave this palm front, not only is this the king, 
but I signal that I'm here to serve him. And, and probably for most of us, especially here at 815 on a Sunday morning, you're going to say, well, yeah, that's me. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm here because I love Jesus, and I'm a, I'm a follower. I'm certainly not an enemy. I'm here to serve him. But the question is, do I live that way? Do I think that way? I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes I wonder about my attitude. Sometimes I wonder about the attitude that I have with Jesus. That when the time comes for me to serve him, when the time comes for me to be obedient, am I happy that he's my king? Or do I just kind of begrudgingly say, hey, that's, that's the way it is? Am I open to saying, Jesus, you're my king and I live my life for you? Or am I more like this, this guy, and maybe I was challenged by this thought. It's a guy in Georgia that quit his job and he gave his boss two weeks notice said, I just, I can't work here anymore. The situation was too bad. So he gave him his two-week notice. And then during those two weeks, the way that his boss treated him was just unbearable. And he got to a certain point during those two weeks and says, I'm just not doing it. I can't do it anymore. And he just quit. He just said, hey, look, I tried. You're just a jerk. I don't know that he said that, but that was his thought process, right? He wrote him another letter and said, hey, I'm done and, and left. Well, a couple weeks go by and the guy never got his last paycheck. He's waiting for it, waiting for it. He knew he owed him, I don't know, $900 or something like that. And he's waiting for his last paycheck and never got it. And so he called his, his former boss and he says, hey, I, I'm waiting for a check. And the guy just kind of puts him off, puts him off. And finally he says, look, I'm going to contact some authorities. I'm going to contact an attorney. Like, you owe me this money and I, and I want it. And he could tell that the guy kind of changed his tune when he's starting to threaten those things. And he says, you'll get your money. And then one day, this guy that quit the job walked out of his house, and he found in his driveway, I think we've got a picture of it, he found a, a pile in his driveway of $915 worth of pennies. That was his last paycheck, $915. So if you've ever wondered what $915 worth of pennies looks like, there it is in the driveway. Here's a picture of it in a wheelbarrow, just to give you a little bit more context. And they were all covered in oil. Like the guy had poured oil all over them. He's just kind of mean-spirited. And they were like, you know, all right, thanks. We got our money. We hope you feel good about yourself. And the guy was like, I'll give you your money, but I don't have to like it. There's just kind of this mean spirit about it. And you kind of think of that guy's attitude and his heart, and it's just, it's just kind of ugly. These folks are going through the pennies. They've already found one rare one, and they think they may end up with more value than they realize. But I thought of that. And I thought to myself, is that ever the way I treat Jesus? Is there ever times when I just go, well, I know I need to do this because I'm a Christian, but I don't have to like it, so here you go. And I throw my life down in his driveway, knowing I gave you what you wanted, but I don't have to be happy about it. Like, do I ever go to church and think to myself, well, I'll do it, but I don't have to like it. Maybe when I give or when I serve, or when I'm asked to love someone, or when he asks me to trust him, do I ever have an attitude that looks more like that than one that says, Jesus, you're my king and I live to serve you? Look, he came to be the king. He came to lead us. And in just a few moments, we're gonna sing a song together, and when we do, we're gonna wave these palm branches. It could be that the Holy Spirit's speaking to your heart, maybe even about the attitude that you have in your relationship with God, and it looks more like Penny Guy than it does look like people on Palm Sunday. And maybe it's good for you to say, Jesus, will you help me adjust my heart and change my attitude, 
put my trust in you and wave that palm branch and say, Jesus, I live to serve you because you're my king. That's the first thing we see about Jesus in this passage. Here's the second one. The first one is Jesus came to lead. Here's the second one, number two, that Jesus came to love. That Jesus came not just to lead, but that Jesus came to love. What do, what do we mean by that? You know, it's, it's interesting to watch this whole story because especially when you read in John's gospel, the Palm Sunday story is in chapter 12. Chapter 11 tells us the story of Lazarus, his death, and then the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead when Jesus calls him out. It's, it's this really incredible thing, and it's an incredible contrast how these stories look because there's things here that just do not seem like they belong. There's things that just do not seem, when you read through the gospel, especially the last half of the book of John, things that do not seem to belong together. Like, like for instance, if you were here last week, you know I shared one of my kind of um, strong convictions, pet peeves, one of the things I'm committed to in my life is that people should not mess with Oreos. Does anybody remember this? Last week, and we talked about it, and then I had somebody send me like a picture of cinnamon bun Oreos and carrot cake Oreos. Doesn't that seem... Sinful? I don't know. It's just weird. And then this week, I came across this, and I thought, the timing's just too right. I got to share this with you. This is from McDonald's in China. They made this burger. Those patties are spam with Oreo crumbles and then the secret burger sauce. And they sold those like it was a special deal for one day only in select McDonald's in China. Here's, what they, here's how they described it. They said it was tender and juicy, full of meatiness, with a hint of sweet aftertaste that amounts to an unimaginable double surprise. That seems unimaginable to me. Anybody else? Like, and I just, I saw that, and I thought, that's just nasty. Here's the deal. They sold out. Like, people came, bought them, and how, how'd they describe them? The flavorful and crispy Oreo is a snack youngsters are familiar with it has with it a very strong, meaty, and satisfying texture. By creatively combining the two foods, it doesn't only showcase the collision of taste. Sounds like a train wreck, doesn't it? The collision of tastes and textures. It's also quite topical socially. I don't know what that means. I just think it's nasty. Because these are things that do not belong together. Thank you, whoever had that moment of revelation over there. They're things that do not belong together. Like what you get in the story of Jesus. Because what you get in these next few chapters is a story of someone who in chapter 11 of John raises a guy from the dead. <laughs> and then as you read a little bit further, the guy who was the miracle worker becomes the guy who is executed. Like there's something in this story how a king who rides in in glory and coronation and celebration within a few days is facing crucifixion. The crowd that proclaimed him king, that quoted Psalm 118, could never have imagined what would happen to him that next Friday. It would have been inconceivable for them to see. Because in their minds, they saw Psalm 118, but they never could have seen Isaiah 53. See, in Psalm 118, he's the triumphant king. But when you get to Isaiah 53, he's what we refer to as the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. Now, I know this is a little unusual for what we would normally do, 
But I want to take a moment and read through kind of a long passage of Scripture. I want to read Isaiah 53 for you. Because in the same way that Psalm 118 was a prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus was born of how he would come into Jerusalem, Isaiah 53 is a prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus was born of what would happen to him in Jerusalem. This is from the New Living Translation. And Isaiah writes, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised. We did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He'd done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him. That, that one caused me to stop for a minute. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life was made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life. And the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. And when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. For he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. When they saw him come in as king, they never could have imagined that he would end up being the suffering servant. This is really important for us to see in this story, to understand about the Christian life, to see about the idea of crucifixion, that Jesus' love drove him to do the unexpected, unthinkable, and unbelievable. No one would have expected that he would be crucified. It was unthinkable that that would happen to a Messiah, and unbelievable that he would do something like that for you and for me. Look, in just a few moments, when you wave those palm branches, consider that God's plan is not always easy. 
I really wrestled and thought about those words. It was the Lord's good plan to crush him. God's plan is not always easy. The way that he wants us to go is not always what we think. And sometimes, just like those people did during the triumphal entry, we think, Jesus, this is how you should do it, or you should do it the way you did it in the past, or you should, you should work it out a certain way, and we tell him what a king should do. Like we, we set it up for him, this is what a king should do, when actually what I have to do, because he loves me, because I know he loves me, because the Lord's good plan is going to work out, because it's going to prosper in his hand, the scripture tells us, I have to let him be the king, <laughs> Like in my life, in those moments, if you're walking through a tough season right now, maybe you don't feel like shouting Hosanna and waving a palm branch. If you're going through a crushing season, would you be willing to say, Jesus, I let you be the king in my life. I let you lead me in this season. Because God's plan is not always easy, but God's plan is always to love. He's working something out in your life He's doing something in our hearts, even in those seasons where it seems like we're being crushed and we have this tendency to push back in those seasons, to not like those seasons. When they stood on the streets watching him come in on that triumphal entry, they never could have imagined that that coronated king would be a suffering servant, but do not miss out on God's love because it does not match your plan. Like that's what happened to a lot of those people. They thought he was the king on Sunday. They thought he was a criminal on, on Friday because his plan did not match their plan. They missed out on the salvation and the love that he could bring. Just because his plan doesn't match yours doesn't mean that he's not at work showing love in your life. Jesus did not come to serve our cause. We are created to serve him. And so in those times of pain, in those times of difficulty, Will you be willing to recognize that it's his love in just a few moments when we wave this? Are you willing to say, Jesus, I love you. I'll let you be king in my life. Because maybe even through the pain, he's working out something beautiful. I told you a couple of weeks ago about um, a rebellious season in my life when I used to kind of deceive my mom and make her think I'd practice my guitar when I didn't. Does anybody remember that story? You're still holding it against me, aren't you? There's forgiveness, right? So what happened was a few years after that, I got a different guitar teacher, one who had some kind of magic spell or something. I don't know what he did, but he changed my whole mindset because all of a sudden it went from work to like, this is fun. Like, he made me want to play the guitar. And one of the problems was, to do that, I would have to practice. And he would tell me, you have to put this practice time. You'd have to put this practice time in. And do you know why initially I didn't want to practice? Because if you've ever learned to play the guitar, at first, it hurts. Like, when you push down on those strings, you got to build up some calluses for a while. And I remember going in, and he'd say, how much did you practice? And, and he, he knew when I wasn't telling the truth, right? And he would push me. And he would push me. And I used to think, he's pushing me because he's just a mean old man. <laughs> Until then, as that pain began to build up into something, that guitar started to, if you will, prosper in my hands. See, it was his will, I thought, to crush me. And what he was trying to do was he knew that once I got on the other side of that pain, something beautiful would come out. At first, I thought old, old Bill James just hated me. 
Actually, he loved me and wanted to work something out in my life because he knew that on the other side of the pain, something beautiful would happen. If you're in a painful season, know that Jesus came to love even in ways that don't seem imaginable to you. And when you wave this thing in a moment, will you put that in his hands? Because Jesus came to lead and Jesus came to love. Let me give you one last thing real quick. Number three, you know this one. Jesus came to save. Number three, Jesus came to save. Let's go back to the text. Here's, here's Matthew's viewpoint. Matthew's standing on the corner. He's watching it all happen. He says this in chapter 21, verse nine. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. That word Hosanna means, oh, save. Like they're calling out for someone to come and save them. It is a call of praise. It is a plea for help. When he calls him the son of David, they are referring to the one who will be the Messiah. And here's the deal. They were looking for someone who would come and triumph over Rome. They were calling this out because they thought he'd be a king and overthrow the Roman government and overthrow the crooked Jewish politicians. And instead, Jesus said, I could overthrow Rome, but that would only help you for the short term. I've come to overthrow sin and death that'll help you for eternity. Jesus came to save us from our sins. That's the whole reason that he came. He came so that you could know forgiveness, so that you could know life, so that when you think about death, you don't have to think about it with fear, that he could make things right between you and God. That's the whole point. That's what we'll talk about on Good Friday. That's what we'll look at at Easter, that Jesus died and he rose again so that we could know him. Jesus came to save us from our sins. The bottom line is that Jesus came to save us. That's the whole point of the story. It's what he came to do. And he came to save you from your sins. But I also believe that that savior has come to be the one who helps you in the season that you're in right now. And I don't know where you might feel like you need someone to come and save you. Do you know what was interesting? Was in that day and time, that word Hosanna had kind of gotten watered down. Like they would just shout it the same way that they would shout hallelujah. And forget that it really meant that they were calling out for someone to save them. In just a few moments, we're going to sing a song that has the word Hosanna in it. And when we do, every time you hear that word Hosanna, I hope you'll wave this thing. And when you do, realize that there is a God who's come to save you. What area of your life do you need a savior to come in? Is it in your family? Is it something in your health? Is it when you look at your finances, your school, your work? Maybe it's your mental health. Maybe it's your future plans. Maybe it's in your marriage or your relationships. It's, it's somewhere where you say, Jesus, I need you to save me. I need you to come in and do something that only you can do. Look, and when we sing this song in a moment, don't let that word just roll off your tongue like it's something common. When you say, Hosanna, will you believe and say, Jesus, you're my king. I want you to lead me. Jesus, I know you love me, so I give this season to you. I know you've come to save me, so I offer this situation, this relationship, this, this part of my life to you. Back in February, I just read a story back in February about these three people, two guys and a lady. I'm not sure why, but they were on a boat off the coast of Cuba, and they got pulled off course somehow. The boat ended up capsizing and they, they swam to a kind of literally a deserted island on the far end of the Bahamas chain, somewhere between Cuba and the Bahamas called Anguilla Key. 
And they swam there and there's literally, there's nothing there, there's nobody there. And they're just there on this deserted island. And there they were. One day a Coast Guard helicopter went over and they saw it and they, they had all this kind of makeshift stuff and they began to wave this flag and they had something that was orange. And when they waved it, the helicopter pilot, just in a routine kind of search mission, they just do, do out when they go out and check things out. On this patrol, they saw the orange, which is an unusual color, and they circled back around and realized that these three people were there. They had survived on coconuts and conch shells and other things that we don't want to talk about in church. And they rescued them after 33 days on that island, 33 days, does that sound like a long time to you? My last name's Gilligan. That does not sound like a long time to me. But to normal people, yeah, it does. 33 days is a long time. And there they were. They saw that opportunity to be saved. And so they started waving that flag. And they recognized that someone had come from on high to save them. And if they had lived thousands of years before in Israel, do you know what they would have shouted? <laughs> Hosanna, Hosanna, <laughs> come save us. And I don't know where you're at in your life. It might be in your relationship with God or it might be something that's going on. But in just a moment, when you wave these branches, when we sing that word Hosanna, would you take a moment and say, Jesus, will you lead me? Will you love me? Will you save me in this place in my life? Will you stand with me right now if you would, please? Here's what I believe can happen in these next few moments. I believe that in these next few moments, there are things that God wants to do in our lives that up to this point, maybe we haven't let him because of our attitudes, because of our perspective, because of our fears, that there may be in these next few moments, tears that are gonna come down some of your faces and freedom that's gonna come to some of your hearts and a change that's gonna come in some way that you've longed for, that you haven't seen yet because now's a moment where with humility and truth, you're gonna say, Jesus, will you save me? Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me in this moment? And if you would just say, Jesus, there's a place in my life where I need to, you to step in and be the Savior, would you just raise your hand right now and say, Jesus, I need you in this place. I need you in this area. Yeah, man, hands all over. As we sing that word Hosanna and as you wave this palm frond, it's more than just some kind of tradition or just some kind of moment. This is an opportunity to say, Jesus, in my heart, will you save me? Will you change me? Father, in this moment, we look to you. We look to you to be the one who leads us, to be the king who loves us, to be the one who comes to save us. Jesus, we look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And I see the king of glory coming on the clouds with fire. The whole earth shakes, the whole earth shakes. I see his love and mercy. It's washing over all our sins. The people sing, the people sing. Won't you sing it with us? It's Jose. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Yes. It's Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna 
that's rising up to take their place with selfless faith, with selfless faith. I see, or oh, I see a near save us. So Lord, I pray, would you help us to love you with all of our hearts as you are our King. 
Father, we pray that in this season for the one who feels like they're being crushed, Lord, would you help them to recognize that in your love you are working out something beautiful. Lord, that you're coming to save them in this moment. Lord, thank you that you are our savior, that you are the one who has come to redeem us and save us and change us and set us free. And so, Lord, we look to you. We trust you. We make you our king and our savior in this time. We shout Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna to the king of kings. We worship you. We thank you, Lord, because you are our savior. Lord, this week, would you remind us that the one who came to save us loved us so much that he would die for us and then had the power to rise from that death and live today and let that love and that life be alive in us in Jesus' name. Lord, as we go into this week, would you send us with your special favor and with your wonderful peace in Jesus' name. Amen.